Good morning. Welcome to MCC. Uh, my name is Jason Beaver. I'm our student pastor, and I'm just excited that you guys are here this morning with us, especially coming off of Thanksgiving. I uh, hope you had a great Thanksgiving and just uh, that opportunity to spend with, with some family and friends and just to, to really remember this season that we're entering. Um, I don't know if you know, but the, this, this time of year, really starting around Halloween uh, through the end of the year, is considered to be most, the most generous time of year. Um, it was projected that we spent $9.1 billion on Halloween. Um, so that's a lot of candy. Uh, I ate my fair share. But uh, um, it's just a, a great way to, to serve our communities and to get involved and to, to serve um, our trunk or treat that we had here uh, not too long ago as well during that time at, during Love in Action where we had over 800 uh, people come through. Um, and so we can see how people are generous even in their, their giving of, of candy uh, to complete strangers. And that's just nice. Um, Thanksgiving, what we just celebrated, um, and just the opportunity to spend time together, to be generous with, with inviting family and friends to come to our house and to have a big meal and to have conversations and to sit and watch football. Even so, some of the games this year were a little eh, boring. But, man. but this time of year, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, tomorrow Cyber Monday, a lot of money is going to be spent, especially on Christmas. Uh, Christmas, it's estimated, an uh, increase from last year that we're going to spend $678 billion on Christmas. Um, all of that is not presents, of course, and that's decorations and all of that. Uh, if you go to Mike's neighborhood and you can just uh, see Christmas vacation and lights everywhere. And so uh, check that out this season. Um, but Christmas, this time of year, we love to be generous uh, because we have a God who's generous to us. And because of that, uh, we reflect that, especially this season that we're entering, because we want to... Uh, show appreciation and value to people around us, to our friends and families and, and other people in our community. And as a church, uh, we partner in this idea that we want to be generous uh, in our love and compassion and to serve our community. And so last month during Love in Action, uh, we had a whole week uh, where we deliberately went into our community uh, to share the love of Jesus. And so we, we helped out with Helping Hands and One Bistro, with Bog, uh, with the Trunk or Treat that I mentioned, with the food packing event that we held here uh, on site, where we packed tons of food to send over uh, across seas. That as a church, uh, we value this opportunity uh, to be that type of, of people in our community, to continually share the love of God, to be generous in Jesus' name. And in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, we read this. It says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, um, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. This morning, uh, we're finishing up our series, The Elephant in the Room. Uh, and this phrase is, is thrown out a lot, uh, and so just we're on the same page. The elephant in the room is a phrase used for an obvious problem that everyone is acutely aware of, but nobody wants to talk about because how uncomfortable it is. So an obvious problem everyone's acutely aware of, but no one wants to talk about it because of the tension and the unsettling conversations that can come from it. 
And we all experience these. And there can be more than one elephant in the room at any given time. And, and individuals, we feel these as couples, uh, as just even friendships or family, other dynamics, in, in our businesses, in, in a church. We feel these tensions. There are things that are left unsaid because, well, we just don't want to get to them. Um, and we think that eventually they'll just disappear if we ignore them long enough. Uh, but the reality is that we need to start having these conversations. And just so we understand, the biggest elephant in the room in our country uh, is in regards of money and our finances. Um, that just even when I say that, uh, it makes us feel uncomfortable. Uh, these past few weeks may be very uncomfortable because our finances, they're personal. We, we don't want to share them. We don't want to uh, talk about them. We don't want to just open up and let someone look at what we spend our money on. And so it can be very personal, but we've talked about and we've looked at over these last few weeks what God would say to us when it comes to this, this idea, this issue in our life, this elephant in the room. And look what God says first and foremost. And we looked at this in week one. He says this. He says, I love you. That no matter where you find yourself, no matter what situation you're in, whether it's a, a great season or a not so great season, that whether you have tons of money saved or no money saved, whatever it may be, um, that above everything else, none of that uh, isn't matters, but what matters is that I love you for who you are. He would continue to say that I want you to enjoy what I've provided you, not just in our finances, but with our, with our time, with our gifts, with our talents and the resources that he's blessed us with, that he wants us to, in our, to provide them not only as an indiv for our individuals and our families, but that we can provide them and, and just use them to share his love to others. And he says, when it comes to, to money, I want you to win. And like any good father, he wants what's best for us. That above everything else, he wants to see us succeed uh, in this area in our lives. And he wants us to show others how to succeed as well. And lastly, he says, when it comes to money, just please trust me. That above everything else, all I'm asking for is that you would begin to put your trust in me. Even if it's just that one step out of a time that you would put that trust and that hope in me. And this idea, uh, a lot of times we can feel is maybe like dependent on where we're at and our right standing and our salvation with God. But none of that is true. We've talked about these last few weeks that this issue, this idea of money uh, doesn't buy our way into heaven or keep us out. And this is not why God talks about this. But he does know that this will be the biggest area of conflict in regards to our personal relationship with him, in regards to, to his lordship over our life and us putting him first, especially when it comes to money. Look what some uh, research shows. The American Psychological Association states this, money is the number one cause of stress among Americans. Money is the number one cause of stress among Americans. Of everything else, money uh, being number one. Uh, according to a 2014 survey done by the Harris Poll, it says 72% of Americans reported feeling stress about money at least some of the time during this past month. Um, I did when Mandy went, uh, you know, Black Friday shopping uh, just a few days ago. <laughs> Wait, do we have that in the bank? I don't know. Okay, uh, but at one, some, a lot of us this past month, in one survey uh, polling 2,000 men and women, uh, money more than sex, children, or in-laws was the most common conflict among couples. And so just from these few statistics, we can see why this is the number one elephant in the room. 
and that we need to begin more than anything is starting to have a dialogue, having an open conversation about where we're at. And so we talked about in week one, Adam uh, Leopard encouraged us to, to talk to God that above everything else, to talk to God about this, that he knows where we're at. He's richly provided us with where we're at, and he knows our struggles and, and our, our successes. And so he's there just wanting us to have an open dialogue with him, to have a conversation, to, to even ask hard questions. God, why am I still feel like in this cycle and can't get out of it? Is there something that I need to do? Do I need to bring someone else alongside of me to help me continue this? Can you point that out? Start a dialogue and begin talking to God about this. And then last week, Rich encouraged us to talk to a spouse or to a close friend, uh, someone we know who, who handles maybe their finances in a good way, who's, who's been able to set up a saving and just be more generous because of, of what they've set up for themselves, to come alongside them, to have that dialogue. Because the way to get rid of the elephant is to get it out in the open. The less we talk about it, the stronger it becomes in our life and the more damage it can cause. It's important to out the elephant and to start our plan of attack. And especially during this season, because it reminds us who we love to be. We love to be God's children reflected in his image and to be generous. On the way home uh, from visiting my in-laws this, this past weekend, so we just got home last night around five o'clock and, and Mandy and I were talking on the drive and uh, she went and got some stuff on Black Friday for the kids and for some other family members. Uh, but we looked at each other and said, well, are we going to buy each other gifts? Like, we hadn't talked about that yet. Um, and at first, I was just about to say no. And then she said an amount, and I said, okay. <laughs> like, that's how conversations work in our family. But, but, it, but it, usually what happens uh, is she'll set an amount, she'll spend that, uh, but I s hit that amount, and I keep going and going. <laughs> One of my love languages is just to, to give gifts, and so I love giving gifts. And so it's, we have to have this conversation and fight this tension and this, and this conflict that it can cause at times of just being able to say, hey, this is what we set aside. This is what we know we can do, so let's do that. And start the conversation and the dialogue. It has to begin to be able to out the elephant that's in the room. Also, we want to remind you that generosity is not all about money. It's far from it. Um, that generosity really stems from the love that we have for one another, the time that we spend together, and the way that we serve one another and those around us. And so to make sure our, our focus is good, uh, on your notes you have this blank, and it says this. It says, generosity is an attitude, not an amount. And if you hear one thing this morning, this is what I want you to take away, that generosity is an attitude, not an amount. And Paul reminds us of this in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, generosity is an incredible experience when we're the beneficiary of it. That when we receive someone else's generosity, it's an it's a overwhelming experience for each and every one of us. And we've all been there at times. But what's even better is that when we're in the inventor of generosity and, the, and we invest in someone else, because in that moment, we're more like our creator. 
We're more like our generous God who from the very beginning of time said, I am generous and I'm going to give you everything that I have, including my son. And I want you to be generous as well. And so we become more like our father and reflect his image. See, generosity is more about what is in your heart and less about what's in your wallet. When you realize that generosity is an attitude and not an action, it begins to change the way we think about giving. Because if my focus is, is giving from my wallet, then, that, then that's an action that I've acted out, that I've acted generously. But if my focus is get, giving comes from my heart, then I'm developing that attitude of generosity. Uh, one of my fondest memories uh, of during this season of Thanksgiving uh, was probably when I was a sophomore uh, in high school. And so my mom and I, we were out shopping, and I guess kind of a little backstory before that is that uh, we didn't have much growing up. Uh, my mom was disabled, and so we collected Social Security, had some government housing and things, and my parents were divorced. Um, and so we, we just lived off of my mom's Social Security. And so because of that, we made the sacrifices that we needed to make and just to continue to have a, the, the life that we lived. And, and growing up, I didn't really know what our financial state was. Uh, something my mom never talked about and something we never really expressed, but I always knew that I grew up and I was never in one or in need. Um, and so that's all I knew. And I remember this Thanksgiving, um, we, had, we were having a rough time and uh, the people from our church put us a basket together for us so that we could have our own Thanksgiving meal uh, together as a family. And so everything was in there, the turkey, the stuffing, my favorite, the cranberry sauce, uh, my not so favorite, the pumpkin pie, um, but there was an apple pie, which I was happy for. And so everything was good um, and everything was there. And so there's some last minute things we needed to get before Thanksgiving day. And so we went out to run some errands, and, and as we were in line getting ready to check out, uh, my mom started a conversation with a woman in front of us, and uh, she would do this all the time. She just uh, loved to hear people's story and get to know them, and, and through that conversation, she realized that this woman needed a ride home, and so she offered that we would take this woman home, and, and so we did, and, and as we dropped her off and we were driving away, uh, my mom then started to tell me a uh, little bit more information that she found out, that this family had been through a rough uh, season and uh, they weren't going to be able to have a Thanksgiving meal. And so uh, my mom had decided that we were going to take that basket that was given to bless us uh, and bless this family that Thanksgiving. Um, and at first I was like, what, what do you mean? Like, I'm like 15 years old. Like, why, why would we do that? But she then proceeded to tell me that this idea, it's not this is not about, our generosity is not about money or these possessions maybe that we have, but it's using our resources, using the things that have been given to us so that we can use it to bless others. And I remember uh, packing up that basket and taking it and, and sitting at the woman's doorstep and ringing the doorbell and running as fast as I could back to the car because <laughs> I didn't want her to see me. And then my mom and I just sitting in the car, just watching her, uh, open the door, kind of look confused and around, pick up the note, read it, and just the smile she had on her face as she took the basket and went into her house. It is still ingrained in my mind of what it means to be generous. And that, that generosity is, has nothing to do with an amount, but it's an attitude of our heart. That generosity is a matter of the heart, and our heart either limits our generosity or unleashes it. So let me ask you this question. If our hearts are right with God, 
do you think will be generous? And the answer is obviously yes. But if we find ourselves not in that generous feeling, what does that mean? And at the very best, it means we have some sorting out to do. Some examining to see where we're at in our relationship with God and seeing if we're still continuing to put him first and reflecting his image as his, his creation. Are you beginning to see why this is the number one elephant in the room? Why so many individuals feel so stressed and why so many couples bring up arguments and, and how many times money can be the number one leading cause of divorce? Because we don't want to talk about it. And we left, leave it unsaid, and because of that, uh, there's consequences from not outing the elephant and letting it out. And a lot of times when we're unwilling to talk about this, we allow silence to be our conversation. We allow silence to, to have the say. And when we do that, there's, there's three things I want to point out. And the first one is this, is that silence hurts me. It hurts you and I as individuals, that when we tend to think that I'm oh, just better left to leave that unsaid, that I don't want to have that, that conversation uh, because it's difficult. I don't want people to see kind of where I spend my money or what I do or whatever it may be. Uh, we ignore it thinking it will go away, as I said earlier, but eventually it leads uh, to causing bigger issues, especially in the realm of money, that without attention, money problems only tend to get bigger. Uh, there's a quote by uh, a guy named Crosby who says this. It says, being withholding about money is a, is a form of loss of intimacy. Where there is no intimacy, the relationship will die guaranteed. That we have to begin having this conversation. Silence on the second thing uh, hurts others. It hurts those around us. If we tend to clam up and, about cash, pause for a moment and think about the future effects of that. That if, if we're not having conversations uh, with our children, um, what could happen? Because usually what we know, uh, we've learned from someone else who's modeled it before us. And so in my household, as I said, we didn't have conversations about what it was like to, to set up a, a checking account, to balance a checkbook, to do all these things, um, to, to be a, a saver or a spender, to see how to create a budget and to stick to it so that you could afford something bigger. Like we didn't have these conversations when I was growing up. And so when I received a bunch of money uh, at one point in my life, and I did, uh, I didn't save any of it, and I spent it all. Uh, and I regret that so much today. But I didn't have those conversations. And it wasn't until I was 21 years old, and some of you guys know my story, that um, I ended up losing my mom and dad when I was in high school, and then I moved in with a family who was generous enough to open up their home for me uh, to, to allow them to become kind of my mom and dad. And so Bill and Vicki Dorston are those people, and it was at that point then, at 21 years old, I began to see how to set some boundaries when it comes to finances, how to have a conversation, how to, to save for a family vacation, and to, to have that dialogue about spending and saving and all of these things that we, sometimes we take for granted. And, and because of that, now I can see that the importance of having that conversation with my family and my kids that Mandy and I, uh, we don't get it right all the time, but having that conversation of understanding where we're at. My daughter is Sadie. She's two and a half. If, if you've seen her, she's the cutest girl you've ever, ever will see, okay? We'll just set that straight. Um, but over, about a year, year and a half ago, uh, she got $5 for a birthday present from her aunt and uncle. And um, 
we apparently lost it or misplaced that $5 for a year and a half. But we found it when we changed her room, and she's not in a crib anymore. She's in a twin bed. And uh, so we found that $5, and so about a month ago, we decided to uh, take Sadie shopping and so that she could spend her money. And so Sadie, we said, anything that you find that you want, that's $5, it's all yours. You have this money. This is money that's been given to you. You can spend it. And so she picked something out, you know, we go through, we let her hand the, the cashier the money, all of that and stuff. Um, and so now, though, when we go shopping, so we were just shopping this past weekend, we go out into the store, and she's obsessed with Frozen right now. So everything is Let It Go um, and Elsa. And so it's great. Uh, but uh, <laughs> a song can only be played so many times in your head. Um, but that's what we're, where we're at. And every time she sees an Elsa doll, she's like, Elsa, $5. I want it. Let's buy it. Like, no, what? No, that's like $20 and you have no money. Like, like, it doesn't make sense. But for a two-year-old, that's okay. But if we don't have those conversations, we can tend to think that, oh, well, this is only five bucks here or five bucks here and, and not think about adding up the, of what the sum of that may be and find ourselves in a place we don't want to be. And so that as parents, as uh, aunts and uncles and grandparents, we have to begin to have conversations about money with our kids because otherwise we're limiting them of their next of the future savers and investors. The third thing is this, is that you can ask for help. Uh, and this is a hard thing for everyone, is to sit down and to ask for help. Um, for me, there's some house projects that I've done recently um, around the house and and I have no clue what I'm doing uh, when it comes to that stuff. And so I've invited some guys from my small group uh, to come over and to help me. Uh, a lot of times it ended up me sitting and watching them do what I've asked them to come help me do. Uh, but I learned and then was able to say, okay, now I know how to do this. And so I can do some other projects that are similar to this. And so we find ourselves in situations like that all the time. Where we, where we come to a point that we want to do something and we don't know maybe how to navigate it or completely understand and do it ourselves. So we invite someone in. We eventually get over our pride and say, I can't do this anymore and I need someone to help me. Why wouldn't the same thing be true when it comes to our finances? That if there's an area that we're struggling, whether it's keeping to a budget or figuring out what needs sacrifices that need to be made, sitting down and talking to a professional financial advisor or committing to the FPU classes that we offer here regularly to figure out to say, hey, I finally want to get a hold of this. I don't understand everything and, and I may still not be getting everything right and I know I'm not going to, but I need to start somewhere. And having that conversation, asking for help, because it's not a sign for, of weakness. If anything, as I said, we can gain more understanding and come to realize that talking about our finances is not as scary as we thought it was. Last week, uh, Rich gave you some questions to talk about with you know, to a spouse or to a friend, someone you trust that handles money wisely. And I hope you took that time to really get in some of those conversations, uh, maybe for the first time. And if you weren't here last week or <clears throat> uh, didn't get an opportunity to do that, I want to remind you of what those questions are. The first one is this. When it comes to money in general, what was it like in your house growing up? Were your parents savers or were they spenders? Or was there a, a system in how you had purchased a, a big item, sacrifices that had to be made so that you could do this or that? Uh, just begin to have that conversation, understanding where each other is coming from. And the second is, what is your biggest fear or concern when it comes to your individual finances as an individual or as a couple? 
Like, what is your concern? What are you, you hoping or afraid of that could or may not happen? And Mandy and I have had to have this conversation because uh, we choose to be a one-income family. That we want, I want her to be at home, or we want her to be at home with our kids instead of spending money into childcare. And so because of that, there are sacrifices that we have to make each and every day to make that possible. And so we've had to begin able to figure out what we want for ourselves as a family, but also um, what we want uh, moving forward and have those conversations. The elephant has to be outed because generosity is who we are, not merely what we do. Generosity is who we are, not merely what we do. First Timothy 17 through 19 says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up the treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of a life that is truly theirs." Here we see our generosity somehow begins to lay this foundation of our faith. We begin to reflect our creator. And Proverbs, again, eleven twenty-four 24 through 25 says, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. And a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes, uh, refreshes others will himself be refreshed. If you want to be blessed continuously generosity is the way to get there. That it, we, we don't give just to, to get. But guess what you get when you give? In Proverbs eleven twenty five, a generous person will prosper and whoever refreshes, others will be refreshed. That when we give and when we're generous, that, that we refresh others and so we will be refreshed. In practical terms, this season, what does generosity look like as we enter Christmas? Not only with our finances, but with our, with our time, uh, with our gifts, with our resources, with the, res- the things that we have that we can give to others. What does generosity look like in your household? Um, what does generosity look like in your workplace, in your schools? Like, how can we begin to embody this spirit of generosity that our creator calls us to reflect? And last week, we looked at how, how to plan and that at the top of the list always is, is God. And that we need to be generous with God in his church first. Matthew 6, says, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And then Solomon says in Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, we are to honor the Lord with the first fruits of all of our, and of our, of our increase. So God needs to be first in our generosity. And again, generosity is not an amount, it's an attitude. And last week, uh, these, these cards were on your t- chairs, and they're on your chairs again. And, and you were challenged to, to take one home and to, to pray over this idea of where your next step is when it comes to being generous, um, especially with generous with God. And so we ask you to take it home, to pray over it, and just to, to mark, make a check mark um, about what step it is that you're going to take. Because we're all in different places. The Bible talks about tithing, and tithing is literally one-tenth of our income. Um, And and some of us are there, and some of us are working towards it. Uh, But what, what we want to encourage you to do is to start with an attitude of generosity. 
And that if it's start by giving just a little bit and putting your trust in God, maybe for the first time in the area of finances, and giving 5 or 10 or $50 a week, uh, that you'd start there. If it's uh, just beginning to say that, hey, I've been doing that for a little bit, and I want to start maybe to the tithe, and I would take that tithe. Or if I'm there, I want to maybe start and increase that. And so this morning, you have an opportunity, and this is between you and God. It's, it's, it's not between us at all. But as a church, we want to just to see where we're at and where we are in this realm of generosity. And so we're going to ask you to, to make a check on one of these. And there's baskets on your way out, and I'll remind you of this again later, but there's baskets on your way out that you can drop this in. Um, because together we can do uh, more than we can apart. And once we put our uh, trust in God first, especially in the area of our gen generosity and finances, we see that he begins to help us. Uh, Love in Action last month was intended to be an opportunity to intentionally send a wave of God's love into our community. But the, the other part of that is to intentionally set up opportunities for individuals to jump in and to serve in a way that they maybe never served before. Um, and so uh, we want to give you some maybe more ideas as we enter this season of how we can be generous uh, to those around us. Maybe it's uh, by serving the needs of others through a ministry of MCC, uh, to serve uh, at Threads Clothing Ministry or uh, Helping Hands or One Bistro. Uh, to use your gifts and your talents to serve in a, in a ministry uh, at the church, whether it's in a nursery or preschool because you love kids, or with our students um, coming alongside middle schoolers and, and high schoolers and being a small group leader, helping them navigate difficult questions and, and the, the things that uh, they're bombarded with each and every day. Maybe it's being generous uh, to your waiter at lunch uh, here in a little bit, whether they you think they did a good job or not. It's just that we are going to be generous to them, not knowing what has happened in their day, and we want to bless them. Maybe it's sending and writing a note of encouragement or a thank you note uh, to someone you know who may just need a, a pick-me-up, buying a gift card for a teacher or a small group, just to letting them know that you appreciate who they are, buying a movie ticket for a young family uh, so that a mom and her kids could go to the movies one afternoon, especially as it's getting cold. Uh, to offer babysitting to a, to a family so that the, the couple could go out for a nice dinner and a date for maybe the first time in months. There are ways that we can be creative and use our generosity to those around us each and every day. Eugene Peterson says this, says, God is generous and never runs out of blessings. God delights in giving. It's what he does. And since we are his kids... There ought to be a family resemblance, that our God is a very generous God. And because of that, we are called to be generous as well. This is a question I want to leave you with this morning, and it's this, and it can be found on your, your notes. It says, when someone tells your story, will it be a story of contagious generosity? That when someone tells your story, will it be a story of contagious generosity? Because remember, generosity is, not, is an attitude, not an amount. And generosity is who we are, not merely what we do. Each and every week, we come to this, this time in our service uh, to uh, what we call communion. And what I love about this, this time is that we get to see God's generosity on display each and every time we, we come together. Because John 3.16 says this, and you may be familiar with it, but it's on the screen. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That God 
was so generous to us that he sent his one and only son to die a death that we deserve to give us life so that we could have a relationship with him. And so as we come uh, to this point in our service, as we take communion, uh, we invite anyone who, who's, who's put their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus. As you take the bread, as you take the cup, remember uh, the body that was broken. Uh, remember, um, be reminded of God's generosity for us and commit to be generous towards others. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning and we thank you for the opportunity uh, to come and to be reminded of your love for us by sending your one and only son to die for us and reflecting your generosity throughout creation. That as we are also created in your image and your likeness, that we are called to be generous as well, not only with our time and our money and our resources, but just in everything that we have. And so, Father, as we come to this point, Father, help us reflect on how you've been generous to us in the past, knowing that that will continue to be faith, you'll be faithful to that in the future, but also how we can begin to be generous to those around us. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.